Thank you so much for the reminder of your grace, the grace and strength of God, and that we can trust him. Let's bow for prayer and ask God's help to understand his word today. Gracious God, you are powerful and you're mighty. And Father, we worship you because there is none other God. We thank you that in your love and your grace you have reached down to us. Lord, while we were rebels against you, Jesus came to give his life for our redemption. So thank you today that we can study your word, that you have given it to us freely, that you instruct us from it, and that by your grace and by your mercy, we can see and understand. And by the Holy Spirit today, I pray that you would open our eyes. Father, may the word do great things in our hearts. Father, my words are of no consequence. My words will fall away, but your word, I pray, would do great and mighty things in our hearts today. I pray that you would be receiving all the glory, which in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We have been in our study of Nehemiah, and with Nehemiah we have been learning that God uses various circumstances to build our faith. And uh, Nehemiah, uh, this part of it, we've been through Ezra, now Nehemiah. Nehemiah is our protagonist. If you don't know what protagonist is, don't tell your high school teacher, because she will cry. Uh, Flunk, no. Um, Nehemiah had a comfortable job in the palace. King Artaxerxes was uh, the one who ruled the realm. He had most of the known world under his control. Nehemiah worked for him. Nehemiah was a close confidant in the sense that he spent many hours with the king. He was there because the land of his forefathers had been conquered. Reduced to rubble, basically. It was reduced to rubble because God had brought judgment upon the people of Israel. Why would God bring judgment upon his people? The people that he loved, well, it was because they had uh, refused to obey him. In many different places, in many different ways, they refused to obey God. And so as part of his covenant, God's faithful covenant, he said, if you will follow my ways, I will bless you. However, if you disobey, you continually disobey me, I will bring a curse upon you because I am your God and I am faithful to the covenants which I make. And so he does so. Um, Israel has conquered Three different waves of, con- waves of conquest come through. Finally, they're in uh, Babylon. Babylon gets conquered by the next king, and the next king, you know, it's kind of, that's the way it happened. Now we're the king of Persia, Artaxerxes. And after 70 years, God sends the people back of Israel back to the land, and they rebuild the temple. However, they didn't finish the job of rebuilding the walls of the city. It's been some years since the temple had been rebuilt. And Nehemiah receives a burden from God. He receives it from his brother. His brother comes and brings news from Jerusalem. And he tells him of the the state of the city, how the walls are crumbling, how they've not been repaired, and how basically it's, we might think of a ghost town. Uh, A few people there. I'm sad. The city of the great God of Yahweh, this city is now, it's nothing to speak of. 
Well, they labor and labor. Nehemiah calls them to the mission. He gives them this vision of rebuilding the wall, and they do so. And we saw last time we met, in 54 days, they completed the wall. And now it's done. Chapter 8. We come now to what happens after the wall is finished. In Nehemiah chapter 8, we have an unusual chapter. We see some of, we see a, a character reintroduced that we haven't seen for quite some time, that of Ezra. But we see a people come and desire something greatly, intensely. I was wondering how to introduce this, and I, sometimes I like to show a video or a film or a, a picture, uh, an image, and... I said, you know, the story is enough. The story of what's going on is enough, and I don't want to waste time on that. I want you to see that when God grips your heart through his word, when, God, when you see God do great and mighty things, you will desire him, and you will desire his word. I wonder, when is the last time you desired the word of God? You had an intense longing to study the word of God, to spend time in it. In fact, you spent so much time you were distracted, you didn't realize that, wow, I I can't believe that's much time has passed. And it wasn't because you dozed off, it was because you were engrossed in depth, you were digging down into the Word of God. When is the last time the reading of God's Word moved you to action? Begin in verse 1. Verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate. And they asked, asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel. So let's, let's do this. There, this is a picture at the Western Wall. So, but uh, now they'll bring out scrolls and this nicely ornate decorated thing here. And you'll see the flatteries. You'll see the, the there you kind of tell the, the word of God there on his, on his forehead. So as one man, how does a people that they've been, they've been together building, yes, but on separate parts of the wall, verse 1 says the people gather as one man. It wasn't Ezra said, you know what, let's get everybody together. It wasn't Nehemiah saying, hey, let's have a, uh, have, to have a community action organization here. Let's talk about your, your, your HOA for Jerusalem kind of thing. It wasn't City Hall came together. The people here in verse 1 came together as one at the square which is in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe. This is the first time we've seen Ezra and since, since the book of Ezra. Okay, about 13 years, he's just, we lose track of him. Whether he went back to Babylon or whether he is just away uh, doing something else, we do not know. But here it is. He is in spiritual leadership still. And he brings the book of the law of the Moses which the Lord had given to Israel. We call that the Torah. Okay, the first five books of, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Okay? And he, they said, come. And they asked, the people asked, him to come and read it. And so in verse 2, Let Ezra the, then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all those who could under, with understanding. So it's not just the adults, but those who are, who are able to understand as children, they came together on the first day of the seventh month. Now, they finished in the 25th day of Elul, which is the sixth month. 
And so just a few days later, number of days, the first day of the seventh month. Now, what is significant about the first day of the seventh month? Well, uh, there are two, uh, there's a religious year and there's a civil year. And this is the seventh month, first day, is the beginning of the civil year for the Jews. So they're, they're coming here, and I wonder if they, if they, from the story, if they really realize what's going on. But they're coming here on the first day. Maybe they understood, this is our new year, let's gather together. And so they come together, and they say, would you read us the law? Would you read this to us? And so he does. And the first thing I want you to see is this word or this concept mentioned throughout the next couple of verses here. The concept, not only verse 2, the concept of understanding. See, the word of God, the desire for the word of God, moved them not only to hear it, but to understand. So it comes and it becomes something that's not just intellectual, that I, 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 there, but it, it comes to an understanding, to a mind and a heart level of understanding. Let's illustrate this by verse 3. And he read it from before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who understand. And all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So he read this from early morning, probably about six hours. About six hours, they, they listened to Ezra read. Okay, they listened to Ezra read it for, verse 4. Um, he, he stood on, on a wooden podium, which they had made for this purpose, Ezra did. And beside him stood men. Um, th- there were men that were standing beside him. For, for six hours they stood, and they had six men on his uh, right and seven men on his left. Thirteen men stood there beside him on this platform that was made. And the people stood at the gate in the square and listened attentively. They heard the word of God. They're standing. Now, it's interesting. They, they stood out of respect for the law. Now, this is not prescribed in Scripture that when the Scripture is read, you must stand. You see it in several occasions, but often they would, sit, they would read and they would sit down to teach. But here, they were so enraptured, they, they, we'll find out in a second why, but they're hearing the Word of God and they're standing for six hours. Okay, Unless you've worked a, a, a factory job, a line job. Um, yeah, that gets pretty tiring on the feet standing. But they don't seem to care. They don't seem to mind. So verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of the people, the scroll. He opened the scroll, and he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. He blessed Yahweh, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while they were lifting up their hands. And they bowed low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. What's going on here? He opens the scroll. And it seems that as before he reads or during times of his reading, he blesses, he praises God. He lifts up his voice and he, he calls for the blessing and praise of God. And all the people say, Amen. You know what Amen is? So be it. Or surely it's an affirmation. And so they lift their hands with, with an affirmation, so be it, God. So be it. And it's almost as they're lifting their hands in affirmation, but also in surrender. God, we are yours. But look what happens next. After the praise, after the yes, it is, then they, they get down on their hands and knees, and we've seen this in some cultures, and they put their faces to the ground. So where'd he go? 
They put their faces to the ground, and they worship God. You understand that the, the word for worship is to humble one's to, to lie flat. They see their great God. They praise their God. They affirm what is being read as the word of God, as it, it is true from God, and it causes them to worship and to bring themselves low before God, which is the true meaning of worship humbling of ourselves before God. But look at the next next part. Verse 7. These men, all these Levites, explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. So it seems that this action of bowing down, then they come back up, and as the, the, the words are being read, There'll be a pause and a break. And these men, imagine, there's a, there's a fair amount of people here in the, in, in the square that's listening. And so these men fan out, probably on the platform or different places, and they come through and they explain, or maybe they explain according to their expertise as a scribe of the law. And they explain what's going on. And the people stay there again. This is part of the six hours. They stay and they listen and they hear. We don't know how long it has been before, since the last reading public reading of the Word of God was before them. We have no indication. You might think that it, during the dedication of the rededication of the temple, most likely. But it wasn't like us. We have, you probably have, four or five of these at home for a Bible for each of us. And if we don't have that, in about 30 seconds, we can download it from the interwebs. Okay, we can have a copy of Scripture in whatever language we desire. And they didn't. They didn't have their pocket scrolls that folded up. And they said, no. The word of God was something special. And so they listened to it. And they want to know why. What, what's it saying? Not just, yes, these are words, the grand exalted words. They want to know exactly what it means and how it applies to them. And so they do so. And they hear the word of God. And they worship. And they hear the word of God. Verse 8, they're read from the book of the law of God translating or, or making distinct to give the sense so that they understood the reading. The desire for the Word of God, the desire for understanding of the Word of God brought attentiveness, it brought praise, and it brought worship. Period. It brought all of these things. And I wonder... Do we desire the word of God in order to understand it? And does it move us to attentiveness, to praise, and of worship of God? See, sometimes we come to the Bible as a how-to. God, fix it. And there was lots in the law of prescriptive language of how to worship God and how to do things. The ceremonial law was full of that, and I, they read parts of that, I'm sure. But what they were getting most of all from this of who God is. The holiness of God. Psalm 99, we read for our scripture reading. The holiness of God, who he is. How he has revealed himself. And they desired for understanding. And I wonder, do we have such an insatiable desire for the word of God that we are willing to sacrifice pleasure or time to come along with God and to read his word? 
We come together corporately on this side of the cross to worship together, to, to praise, which is mostly what we do. We praise God together in song, and then we hear the Word of God read and, and preached and spoken and explained. But then you and I can go home and read it again and again and, and learn of, of that. And we now have the Holy Spirit, if you are a follower of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit to help interpret this for us. In fact, we have so many more benefits now than they did to understand the Word of God, to have the Word of God, and I wonder if we have that desire. Now, understandably, and you can understand that the reason they were cast from the land captive and because they had they become complacent about the Word of God, a number of years, a number of kings before, they had decided we're not going to go God's way. And God had to judge them, take them into captivity. But now, now they're putting the, the word of God in its proper place. They're attentive and worshiping God. I wonder, is that us? Is that us? Is the word of God any less powerful or meaningful or satisfying now as it was then? Are you moved? Am I moved with a desire to understand the word of God? Verse 9, we have a curious reaction. Nehemiah, um, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the word of the law. So after praising and bowing down and worshiping and listening attentively, their reaction was weeping. Their reaction was sorrow. I wonder if we've allowed the word of God to move us to sorrow. Now, I won't stay here long because they said, don't sorrow. This is the new year. Usually we don't cry and mourn on the new year. We rejoice that we've made it through the old and we have a, a new one to, to get right, hopefully, this time. And it's even more significant for the Jews than, than it is in our time and how their calendar of worship. There's going to be a lot of things happening this month, this first month. Atonement, this festival of, of tabernacles that were coming along. But they, they were at sorrow. You know, they heard the works of, of, of old, of how, what God had done. And they had seen them see him bring them back from captivity into now worshiping God in the city. And I believe part of the sorrow was not only they see the work of God, but they saw the disobedience of their, their parents and their grandparents, and maybe even of their own selves, their own hearts and lives. And they had a proper response of sorrow, lack of obedience, but, but not this day. This was not the day for it. So Ezra and Nehemiah, the Levites, said, no, no, don't cry, don't weep and mourn. Today is a day holy, set apart unto God. This was not the day to mourn. In fact, we'll see in chapter 9 that they did make some confession. Okay, so they're not getting away from that. They're going to they're deal with what had gone on before. But today, this new year was holy to God. Don't sorrow. Don't sorrow. You know, there's a good, holy sorrow for us. 
It is good to be sorrowful for our sins, but it's not good to be sorrowful once Christ has forgiven our sins. Once Christ has given us, uh, through confession, and, and relieved us from that sin, to keep going back to that guilt and sorrow. Often, it seems that the people follow on the spectrum. Um, some of us are so burdened by sin, we, we have a hard time overcoming sorrow for what we've done, even after we know that God has forgiven us. And God says, I have forgiven you. I've, I've cast your sin from east to the west, and we're having part of this. On the other hand, there's some of us who don't sorrow at all for, for what we've done. And so the, the, the word of God, listening to the word, drove them to sorrow, but it didn't stay there. Next, they were told to rejoice. Turn the sorrow into joy understanding of God's work. Let it move you to rejoice, verse 10. And he said to them, go eat of the fat. Now that means richly prepared food, not just, you know, fat back. We're in the south. It's richly prepared food. And drink of sweet date juice, wonderful fruits. Drink of the sweet and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. Send portions to those who, who have not prepared or who may not have the wherewithal prepare. We, a couple chapters back, there were those who were, who were under the oppression and of, of debt. Send to those to share with those for this day. Why? This day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Let me say the joy in the Lord is your strength. It is speaking of how we joy in God. Yes, we understand God joys in us. But this is our placing our joy in the Lord. And that is where we get our strength. Ever been to a point where the fatigue is great? The, we're not strong? You know, when we are set apart for God, He is to be our strength. And we get understandably tired from labor. Ever been there? Where it's hard to keep going. And it's, it's taxing. We try to get strength from other things. and More coffee or, or something like that. More exercise. From the good to the bad. Pick, pick which side. We try to gain strength from a lot of different things. And sometimes it is only God that we don't see as our strength. It's everything but him. And coming and finding strength in him. And this is what the Levites are saying to them. This is what Ezra is preaching. This is what Nehemiah is telling them. The joy of the Lord or in the Lord is your strength this is a holy day. We want you to rejoice, to joy in the Lord. It's an unusual phrase if you think about it. the joy in the Lord is your strength. It's our power. It's our life, not our life, but his life in us. For the one that follows Christ, it's a beautiful thing that Paul writes, and it's a bit of a mystery. We don't quite understand how it all works, but we understand that Christ desires to live his life through us. And yes, we 
we are the ones that touch others' lives, and we are the ones that, that work every day. We interact with people, but it is the work of God to work in us and through us to meet the needs of others. And in that we find joy. We find rejoicing. And the Word of God brought this. He said, the Word of God commands you on this day to have joy, to be strong, to turn from sorrow, to turn from the old, and to focus upon God. And notice each time the Word of God is it's recalling them to remember God himself. So the Word of God, even those instructions are being explained, it was the God behind the Word that was most important. It was God himself that they were to joy in. It was God himself in, which, in whom they were to find their strength. This was their God. And you and I have joy in him. We have strength in him. The word of God calls them to do one more thing. For obey. Verse 13. Um... Oh, verse 12. And all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions to celebrate a great festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Verse 13. Then on the second day, the heads of the fathers' households of all the people, so they're kind of the, everybody in, uh, the, in charge of the, of the household, of our family, they gathered together um, with the priests and Levites uh, to Ezra the scribe, that they may gain insight into the words of the law. So they came back again for more understanding about God's law. So in 14, they found written in the law how the Lord had commanded through Moses that the sons of Israel should live in booths during the feast of the seven months. So that's going to be coming up later in this month. This is the second day of the year. And they said, wait a second, there's a command here. There's a command for, for the feast that's coming up, this feast of booths or a feast of tabernacles. And it's to live in booths. Now, why would someone go and live in a booth when they have a perfectly fine house? Well, we're going to see. Because so they, 15, they proclaimed and circulated a proclamation in all their cities and, and in Jerusalem. So this is not just locally. It's all the cities that are inhabited now by Jews. Saying, go out to the hills, bring olive branches and wild olive branches, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of other leafy trees. So gather the ones that have the leaves, to make booths as it is written. So, 16, the people went out and brought, themselves, uh, brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his own roof or in his courts, in the courts of the house of God, in the square of the water gate, in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And the entire assembly, everyone of those who had returned from captivity, made booths and lived in them. And the sons of Israel indeed had not done so, from the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, to that day. And there was great rejoicing. Okay, Joshua was entering the land. Okay, he was all way back there. So Moses, Joshua, and then a lot of time, finally got kings after the judges, and number of kings. They had not worship, had not done the worship or the, the celebration of this day, this feast, properly since Joshua's time. Hundreds of years. They had celebrated the Feast of Booths, of Tabernacles, and I'll keep calling it that way because they had celebrated that. They had come to the city, but they had not done it in this manner as God had prescribed. And so this time, they obeyed. Now, what was this all about? Well, 
God prescribed this when the people came from the land of Egypt. And so they were in captivity, and then they're in the wilderness, they were wandering. And God, as he gives this, was to, for them to make these lean-tos, these huts. It's in a good time of year, September, October, the time of the year. So it's, uh, it's not monsoon season or anything like that. Uh, not that I have monsoons, but not the rainy season yet. Uh, and they would live in that. Why? To remind them of how God had brought them from Egypt, how he had carried them through the desert, and all the time back, how he had done so and taken care of them all along the way. And this is to remember God's great deliverance. God's love and protection. God's care for them. And they were to have a visual aid. You know, we like visual aids. Um, They were having something, instead of just showing you something, they did it. And they obeyed. And there was great rejoicing. Great rejoicing. We're like, okay, we got to go. Mommy, why do I have to go live in a booth? I like my bed. Great rejoicing. Usually the kids are up for those kind of things. It's the, us adults are like, uh, do I have to? <laughs> my Tempur-Pedic is just so nice. <laughs> or pick your favorite mattress. My Circa. It was to remind them of who God was, who God is, what he has done for them and who he is now, and how he has brought them now again to the land and placed them in the city. And because of his work and his aid, they have rebuilt, they have rebuilt the walls, and now they're living again in his city, God's city. God had done it. Even at the end of chapter uh, 6, it's that the people, their enemies, realized it was God who had helped them and had done this. And they greatly rejoiced. Understand, when the, when the word of God comes to our hearts, we must let it move us to obey. We must let it move us to obey. We can't look at it and say, mm, that's, that's good. Fold it up, put it away, turn it off. That's just uh, something for somebody else. God desires obedience. And through the whole cycle of understanding, of sorrow, of rejoicing, and now of obedience. It has been the desire for the word of God and to understand it that has brought about this change in their lives that has moved them in the great and mighty way to be obedient to God and to rejoice in their God. It starts here with the word of God. And I wonder, what about us? Does the hearing or the reading of the word of God, does it indeed move us? I use that word move us because it's not that we're carried along in a drift. You know, you get in a river and you kind of, the lazy river and you The impulse of the heart and of the soul brought about by the understanding of God's word, does it cause a change in when I read it, do I just close it up? Or does, do, do I read it and I see God, who he is, what he has done, his greatness, his holiness, his justice, his forgiveness? Am I changed by that to be more like Christ? Am I holy, forgiving? Do I love justice? Do I love mercy and grace? Does it change me or does it, I, I put it up and, 
go unchanged. See, for us who are here who know Jesus, who, who are, would say, I, I name the name of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, we cannot stay the same when we see the Word of God. Too many times we do, too many times in my own life, I've come to the Word of God and I've not been changed because I have not desired His Word to change me. I have not desired God. And how many times are we all in that situation when our desire of God is so weak that we will not be changed by His Word? We'd rather just close it up, sit it there, and go on. I like my life. I don't want to change. I'm doing well. I can do it on my own. In the immortal words of Dr. Phil, how's that working out for you? You know, for those of us who may be here who do not know Christ, you say, how? How is that? How does words on a page, how does it change? Well, it's the one behind the words. Is Jesus Christ himself. And the beauty of this, these men and women and boys and girls, as they are listening and they are changing, they're obeying, they're rejoicing, they're looking toward a Messiah who would come, and now we have seen the Messiah has come, Jesus Christ who has fulfilled everything. He has been the tabernacle. He has come and dwelt in us, with us, God with us. And that's the tabernacle to dwell together. He fulfilled the visual aid. He came. And he offered salvation to those who would trust in him. And when you trust in him, you'll receive the joy. You'll be moved to obey. Sometimes you'll be moved to sorrow over your sin. But there's great forgiveness with God. And you'll have freedom from the slavery of sin that has enslaved us all. But we all must come, those who follow Christ and those who not, to be moved by the hearing and the reading of God's word. So what is it for you? How is it for you today? Do you find your strength in him? Believer, do you find strength in him? Stacy, you don't know my trials. I don't. And I'm a, a terrible one for compassion. Because no one can understand every trial. But Christ does. Stacy, the word of God doesn't have the same meaning for me as it may for, for others. I, it, it doesn't change me. Sometimes I get that. Sometimes there are things in the way that we have to confess known sins. I say, we, we, you have to get those out of the way. Confess them to Christ. Because there's a blocking in the fellowship. It's, there's not, it's not a way through because of how we respond. And God forgives But the word should always move us to action. Will you let it?
Will you let the word of God move you to action today? Let's bow for prayer. It's interesting to note that obedience came after understanding, came after sorrow, came after rejoicing. For some of us, outward conformity is just really good because we can do that stuff and everybody thinks we're good. Others of us, it's uh, with a rebel without a cause. The word of God, the word of God is strong and powerful. And friend, today I pray that you would desire the word of God and that desire would lead you to understanding, lead you to sorrow in some cases, but not staying there, leading to, leading to rejoicing and obedience. That others see the God behind the word. The God that is indeed your God, if you're a follower of Christ. Oh, great God, I thank you that you have given us in great clarity who you are, We praise you for your work. We praise you that you indeed are a God who is powerful, who is mighty, but who is forgiving, who is merciful, who is gracious, a God of justice, and a God of rescue. And Father, I don't know the hearts of the people here but I know we all need your word to change us and move us. And so would, by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you do that work in our hearts and lives? You know, God, if there is those who are here who do not know Jesus as their Savior, would they see the beauty of Jesus? Would they see the beauty of forgiveness and relief and freedom from sin? And would you, by your power, draw them to yourself? Would they be changed? Would they become a disciple, a follower, a pupil of Christ? To glory and the grace of our God. To rejoice and to obey. God, would you be glorified through our time? In Christ's name.